1: Matthew chapter 5, verse number 14. Matthew five fourteen. You, Jesus said this, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Did you know that we are 14 days away from the annual celebration of the event that will change the world forever? 14 days away. We are 336 hours. 336 hours. In 336 hours, we will rejoice over an event that was prophesied hundreds of years ago. We are 20,160 minutes from celebrating the day all of heaven stood at attention and hell shuddered in fear. In fact, we are 1,209,600 seconds away from the Sunday in which the broken hearts can be healed, the drug addict can be clean again, the alcoholic can relocate normal, and the abused wife can face a new day with hope instead of fear. It's Easter. We are two weeks away. Over 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, everything changed on Resurrection Day. The day we celebrate is Easter. Two weeks from today, just two weeks from today, it will not be a normal regular Sunday service. It could be the most important day of your child's existence. Two weeks from today. Statistics reveal that more Christians and non-Christians alike will attend services on Easter than any other Sunday or weekend during the year. Statistics reveal that Christians and non-Christians alike will attend services on Easter more than any other weekend during the year. Why? Because if a man rose from the dead, then everything else he said must be true also. You can be forgiven, we can be delivered, I can get better, my friends can have everlasting life, I am loved, and my life can change for the better. That's why people come on Easter. They still want to have that hope. In 14 days, a wife can get her husband back. In 336 hours, a child can wake up with mommy at home instead of mommy in the bed or in jail. In 20,160 minutes, a high school student can make a decision that will correct the course of their life from alcoholism and drug addiction. And in 1,209,600 seconds, a businessman who has all but given up can find new hope again. Why? Because over 2,000 years ago, everything changed when Jesus Christ came out of the grave. All of life changed. But what a difference a single day can make. What a difference a single day can make. For you see, in 15 days, in 15 days, Monday after Easter, your co-worker can continue to live their pain-filled life. And honestly, in 360 hours, your friend at school can continue down their path of deception and destruction. What a, what a difference a single day can make. In 21,660 minutes from now, your cousin could be one day closer to an eternity without God. And in 1,296,000 seconds from now, the little girl that always waits on Amanda and I at nukes, could experience a fatal tragedy and slip into eternity without Jesus. You see, two weeks from now, 14 days, 336 hours, 21,060 minutes, 1,206,000 seconds, In just 14 days, it is life or death. It is heaven or hell for so many. It will be determined in two weeks. Sunday, April 16, 2017 will not be just another normal spring Sunday. Now think about this. I want you to think about something. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price for my sin. He paid the price for your sin. Forgiveness and redemption is already been paid for. It's offered freely. This Easter, they are already forgiven as far as God's concerned. They just have not been able to receive it for themselves personally. But Easter is their celebration as well it's, it's, it's our celebration. Easter is for all. God is not mad at anybody. He's not mad at your family. I don't care how big a rascals they've been. I don't care how much you want God to get them. I promise you, He's not going to get them because He's not mad. You're the one that's mad. God's not mad. Alright? He's not mad. He longs and welcomes everybody into His family. Your co-worker. Our friends. My cousin. The little cousin... The little server at Nukes, they're going about their life as normal for the next 14 days. And if they enter day 15, if they get to Monday, the day after Easter, and don't know Jesus, it will not be Christ's fault. He's already paid for their sin. He's not going back to the cross. One crucifixion's enough for anybody. We shouldn't ask Him to go back and save them again. He's already done everything He needs. And listen, it's not their fault. If on Monday, the day after Easter, they don't know Jesus, it's not their fault. Because most of them don't even know about Jesus and know that there's an opportunity for something better in life. No, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, look at it again. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know, I've noticed something over the years. I've noticed something over the years about people who align themselves with our type of worship. You know, very uh, ex- excited type of worship, a very uh, static type of worship, a very open type of worship, charismatic, Pentecostal, spirit filled, uh, Baptist, I don't, you know, all kind of, all kind of, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what you call it nowadays. I get confused on all this stuff anyway. But people that just excited about Jesus. People that are excited. I've noticed something. We love and promote the message of holiness. We, we like that. And I'm gonna tell you, America needs a good dose of holiness right now. People don't even know what moderation is anymore. You know, we, we, we go to get a Hardy's cheeseburger and we have to work through a dozen sex commercials to even, to get a Hardy's cheeseburger. I mean, people are just messed up. Messed up. It's not about perfume anymore. It's about sexual temptation. You know, it's, we just, we, our sinner our, our is way off. Our sinner is way off in, in, in America. and And we, the people who are hungry for God, we love holiness and moderation. We welcome that. And that's good. We need that. We believe in living a pure and holy life. We also, we people who get really excited about Christ, we thrill at the demonstrations and the manifestations of the Spirit in our services. We like it when the unusual happens. We love it. We, we That doesn't chase us off. That doesn't run us off. I've seen everything. I mean, I've been in churches where they just, they're waiting for something to happen. Somebody coughs, somebody says, devil, and everybody just gets involved in it. I mean, they they just love that. They love that. The guitar falls off the stand, holy ghost, and everybody takes off running. I mean, Pentecostal people are like that. They just they 're looking for something to happen, and, and you know I would much rather be in a church like that where people are always anticipating God to move than everybody 's already in the mausoleum dead i don 't want to be a part of a church like that. We long and yearn for deep revelation of the spirit and the word of God. We, we like it I, I love it when our people take notes and you 're hungry for the word of God, and you 'll post on Facebook some scripture or something it 's wonderful. Each of these desires and longings are wonderful and needed. And we really emphasize the worship and we emphasize the Word. and We emphasize things like that and the move of the Spirit. We do. But often, we don't even realize we spend more time emphasizing the beauty and the adorning of our chandelier rather than displaying the light where it is most effective. God hasn't called us to be a chandelier. He's called us to be a light. He's called us to be the light. Look what he said in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. He didn't say you're the chandelier. Well, I look good and I dress right and I act right and I go the right places and I know how to worship and I know how to praise and I can recognize the Holy Ghost in a service. He didn't say he called you to be a chandelier. He said, I've called you to be the light like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Here's what the message translation, I love what this says. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light. Bringing the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. There's no undercover Christians. We're going public with this. You know, I love Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled worship. I love the passion I see in the experience that we experience on Sundays and when we come together. I love it. I love the, the, the desire to engage others. I love it when Pastor Wayne encourages us to, to worship. I love it when all the team gets up here and encourages us to worship. I love it when the choir, I'll just watch the choir, and they just their enthusiasm just gets over on me. I love that. I love manifestations of the Spirit. Last Sunday in one of our services, we had manifestations of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit in Manifestation. I love when people are moved on supernaturally to take a step of faith. I love the risk of it being involved in stepping out and believing God for something extraordinary in our life. Something bigger than we are. I love that. I love the hunger for God's Word. I love it that people really want to study God's Word. I love that. I love the dynamic of the community that we have here at Family Worship Center. That people are involved in life groups and they're praying for one another and they're caring for one another. I love all of that. But did you know that according to what Jesus said, the purpose of all of that is found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Look at Acts chapter 1 verse number 8. Why do we do that? Why do we worship like we do? Why do we study like we do? Why do we love like we do? Why? Acts 1 8, But you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. 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 See, we intentionally have made these personal experiences that we enjoy. We've made these personal experiences the goal, the target of our faith. I often hear people talking about, well, I want more. I want more of God. I want more of God. I want more power. I want more of a move of God. I And I yearn for more of God also. And I yearn for more of a move of God also. And I... I yearn to see the supernatural. I yearn for that also. Those, those types of services and events, they are fun and refreshing, and we we yearn for that. We long for that. But what is the purpose of all that? Why do we want it? Why do we desire it? Why do we ask for it? Why do we pray for it? Why do we sing for it? Is it just so we can have more emotional experiences? No. Acts 1 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. The purpose of the glory, the purpose of the manifestations, the purpose of the revelation, the purpose of the power, the purpose of the passion is to empower us to be a light and shine in the dark places. That's what it's all about. Not so we can just have more and experience something else. In fact, listen to this. If we don't take what the Spirit is doing in us out into the dark places, then we're not lights of it or empowered, Spirit-empowered witnesses. We are simply Holy Ghost junkies looking for another emotional, spiritual fix. I mean, when the worship ignited your heart this morning, you know what the Lord wants us to do? Take that ignite of heart and passion to work tomorrow and be a witness. It's not just to leave it when you leave and hope next Sunday it's a step better than this Sunday. And that's what we often do. We just compare Sunday services compared to Sunday services instead of taking what the Lord is doing and wants to do in us and take it out into the dark places of the world. And when we do that, we have become nothing more than a spiritual junkie that's just looking for more, more, more experiences. And He's called us to be a light, a witness. Why don't Christians evangelize today? I, I've been thinking about that lately, praying about it. Lord, why don't we evangelize? Why don't we share the message today? Why don't we do it? Here's what I've discovered. Number one, many Christians don't know what evangelism is. Many, many of you sitting here today, you hear the word evangelism and say, What's evangelism? What do you mean? The word evangel in the original language means good news. And evangelism is just the activity of someone proclaiming the good news. Someone just telling others about Jesus Christ. Someone telling others about how good Jesus is. And how He wants to be good to them. We like to talk about going on missions trips. We talk about building orphanages and churches. And those projects are wonderful and utilize people's gifts of construction. And all of those things are great. But it's not evangelism until someone goes into the darkness and tells people the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to go to a third world country to evangelize. That cubicle right around from you, there's darkness. There's darkness. See, most of us just don't even know what evangelism is. Simply telling people at work, people at next door, our friends, our relatives, the good news of Jesus, that's evangelism. We talk about church, we talk about worship songs, we talk about activities, we talk about Easter egg hunts, we talk, we talk about this event and this trip our group's going to take. We talk about those things and they're wonderful and they're great, but it's not evangelism until someone makes the goodness of Jesus the center of the conversation. And most Christians just don't even know that anymore. You know what we ask? Where do you go to church? For some reason, we are shy about saying, do you know anything about Jesus? Have you ever met Jesus? See, we just don't evangelize anymore. Most Christians don't do that. Number two, we have very few evangelistic role models anymore. When was the last time you walked away from a conversation with someone and they asked you if you knew Jesus? When was the last time? You know, we all have a circle of people we hang with. Can you think of two people in your circle who always talk about Jesus? We talk about the weather, we talk about the politicians. I mean, we always talk about the politicians. We talk about health care, we talk about money, we talk about our sickness and disease, we talk about family. But can you think of two people in your circle that every time you get around them, they bring up Jesus? I mean, I, I used to go to my granny's house and Amanda, we'd say, well, we're just going to drop by there, we're going to drop by there. We're going to drop by. We're just going to stay 30 minutes. And we'd say, no, it'd take 40 minutes, 40, 40, 45. Because before we get out there, she's going to tell us something about Jesus. She's going to tell us something about Jesus. You know, we just don't have any role models anymore. We don't talk about Jesus anymore. We don't talk about Jesus. So number one, why don't we evangelize? Many Christians don't know what evangelism is. It's just sharing the good news of Jesus. Number two, we don't have any evangelistic role models. We don't have any evangelistic role models. Number three, many Christians aren't convinced about lostness today. Ain't nobody going to hell. Ain't nobody going to hell. According to the feelings of most Americans today, the only people going to hell are individuals who abuse children only if they themselves were not abused as a child. And politicians, every politician is going to hell. <laughs> Wayne over here, our, our keyboard player, my piano player for many years at Allgood, Good, he, he's a county court clerk, and he, uh, he said, Pastor, in the first service when you said all politicians are going to hell, he said, I felt the soles of my feet getting hot. <laughs> so be it. I'd given anything if I'd had a fog machine under where he was sitting. (laughs) People are just not going to hell. We don't think people are lost anymore. Everybody's going to heaven. It don't make any difference. It matters not what you believe, how you live, what you do, or what you have have ever done. Everybody's going to heaven in man's eyes. If anyone has the audacity to suggest that someone is going to hell, they are worthless, bigoted judges. So listen, if everybody's going to heaven, why in the world do we need to evangelize? Why do we need to evangelize? I mean, think about it. When was the last funeral you went to where the preacher got up there and says, you smell that burning? Not me. I'm a chicken. I don't want grandmother coming off that front row swinging her purse at me. That little Sammy's in hell right now. No way. If you want to believe he's in heaven, so be. But the problem is we really don't believe anybody's going. We don't believe there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. We don't believe that we'll be accountable and stand before a holy God in which we'll give account of things we've done in the body, whether they be good or bad. We don't believe that if we've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we'll not make heaven. We believe you can go by Buddha. We believe you can go by Allah. We believe you can just be a good person and give some money every once in a while and you're going to make heaven your home. That's what we believe nowadays, but that's not the Bible. We just don't believe in lost people. We don't believe there's anybody lost. We don't believe we work with anybody lost. Now, now you know, if they, if they come in there and they say and they, the police get them and take them out where well, he just stabbed his wife and mother-in-law, we'd say, well, you, you might want to think about your salvation here a little bit. That's about as far as we go. But everybody else we know, we don't believe they're lost. We don't believe anybody's lost. So if everybody's going to heaven, why is there a need to evangelize? Listen. If Jesus was born of a virgin. And if Jesus lived a sinless life. And if Jesus performed miracles and did wonders. And if Jesus did die an unjustified death on the cross. And if Jesus was raised from the dead. And if Jesus was seen alive by many people following His death, burial and resurrection. And if Jesus did ascend into heaven and said He would return. And if millions upon millions of people since 2,000 years ago it then happened have accepted Jesus into their heart and in turn they can testify that their lives have been radically changed. And if Jesus did say, I am the way, the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. If all of those things really did happen then there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. And mankind without Jesus will be lost forever. And we need to remember that. We're not happy about that. But we must remember it. That not everybody's going to heaven. You've got to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, pastor, you, if you say those things, you're going to offend somebody. Who are we going to offend? The devil? I don't mind offending him. Who are we going to offend? A rebellious person? I don't mind offending them. Everybody needs to at least hear the story, the good news of Jesus. Number four, the reason Christians don't evangelize, to be honest, with you, we've just gotten over our salvation. Being saved is not a big deal to most of us any longer. We've been saved so long, it's no big deal. It's just it's routine. The last book in our Bible is called the book of Revelation. It is written by the Apostle John. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ and also the things that are shortly come upon the earth. And the whole book, the book of Revelation, is written to seven churches. Seven churches, just like the church here in Murfreesboro, the church in Cookville, the church in Nashville. Seven churches. The, the the book is written to seven churches. And one of the seven churches is the church of Laodicea. You say, what does that mean? Well, it's just a city, it was a region, just like Middle Tennessee. So the Lord would say it this way today I've got a i have got to—I want to write something to the churches that are in Middle Tennessee. But he says I'm going to write it to Laodicea. The churches in Laodicea region. And this is what he said. Revelation chapter 3 verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful, the true witness. The beginning of God's new creation. Verse 15. This is what he says to them. This is what the Lord says to this church, these people. I know all the things you do. That you're neither hot nor cold. I wished you were the one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have everything I want, everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that is being purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. Well, that's a, that's a revelation right there. I correct and discipline everyone I love. God said that. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will share a meal together as friends. Do you see that? Verse 20. Look at verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Look, I stand at the door and knock. Look, I stand at the door. And... Remember, who's he talking to? He's writing to the church. Notice where he is. He's on the outside of the church. Trying to get into the church. He's on the outside trying to get into his own church. Because people think they're okay. They've just gotten over their salvation. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Do you remember when we first got saved? How we were eager about prayer? and How we wanted to read our devotions? And how we wouldn't miss church for the world? We look forward to it. Do you remember that? And now today it's just become routine. If we miss, we miss. If we miss our devotion, uh, we'll get it tomorrow. See, we've just gotten over our salvation. We've, we've become indifferent and don't even realize it. And then notice what he says. Listen to what he says. He says, I tell you, you need to buy um, gold from me. You think you're rich. He says, you need to buy gold from me that has been purified by fire. You know what he says? He says, when, when we get indifferent about our salvation, when we let our our passion for our salvation and our love for Jesus slip, he says the only way to get pure gold is go through the fire. Isn't that true with most of us? Isn't that true with most of us? We we love we love God. We just but we're just living. Like, oh yeah, you know, it ain't no big deal. I go if I don't want to go, I don't go. You know, I pray if I want to pray. I'm, I'm saved. I'm. He loves me. I'm going to heaven. He's a good good father. I, you know, he, I'm loved by him. He's perfect in all his ways. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm saved. You yeah, know, but but if I show, you know, it ain't no big deal. And then we go through hell. And then something happens. And then we get a bad diagnosis from the doctor. And then the word comes down that they're gonna shut down our plant. And all of a sudden, what do we do? We go after it. Oh, we're going to start reading again. We're going to start praying again. We're not going to miss service at all. What are we having to do? We're having to buy the gold refined by fire. And I'm telling you, there's a way not to have to get it that way. Just stay hot all the time with Jesus Christ. Don't... Make the trials come before you get back your passion for Jesus Christ. That's good right there. Thank you, pretty girl. (laughs) Why don't Christians witness? Many Christians don't know what evangelism is. We have very few evangelistic role models. Many Christians aren't convinced about lostness today. We've gotten over our salvation. And finally, number five. Most Christians don't know many lost people anymore. Every once in a while, somebody will come up to me and say, Pastor, pray for me, I get a new job. I say, why do you want a new job? Well, I just want to work with a Christian business. I say, why do you want to work for a Christian business? Well, they just wear me out. You know, the, the truth, there's nothing wrong with that, but think about it for a second. We want to send our kids to Christian schools. We hang around Christian friends. We want to work at a Christian business. We want to shop where there's nothing but Christians. And then the Bible says, I thought I made you to be light. You know what's happened? We think being spiritual is getting a bunch of Christians together and turning on our light bulb. And they don't need light. they've already got their own light. To be honest with you, we've got God's called us, He says, "You are the light of the world." And He said, "I'm not putting you under a bucket, and I'm not even ha- getting you to hang out with other light bulbs." He says, "I'm going to put you on a city, and I want on a a hilltop like a city on a hill, and I want you to open your life up to the dark places, and let the dark be repelled because of your light." But we think the goal in life is to shield ourselves from darkness. The goal in being a Christian is not to shield ourselves from darkness. The goal as a Christian is to invade the darkness. Because everywhere the light goes, the darkness runs. You know, we've got this thing backwards. We're running from the darkness and we're the light. No wonder things are getting darker out here. If no light shows up, it's only going to get darker. You just have a light show up and the darkness flees. See? But we, we've we've got confused on it. And the reason most Christians don't evangelize because you ain't got nobody to evangelize. Everybody's already saved. My whole family's saved. All my people at work saved. My company's saved. I shop down at the fellow shop who he's saved. I go out and eat with only saved people. I just hang around saved people, so I ain't got nobody to evangelize. Shame on us. Shame on us. Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. He didn't act like publicans and sinners, but He was a friend of publicans and sinners. So why don't Christians witness? Many Christians don't even know what it means to. Just telling people the good news of Jesus. We have very few evangelistic role models. Nobody's really ever showed us how to do it. You know, I go to these preacher conferences every week, just about now. I'm either speaking or I'm going, and all they want to talk about is church systems, programs, statistics. I can't remember the last preacher conference I went to where they talked about let's get together and pray, or let's talk about leading somebody to Jesus. They won't do that. That, so we have very few evangelistic role models. Many Christians aren't convinced that anybody's lost. They know. Many of us have gotten over our salvation. It's no big deal. I'll take it and leave it. I know I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. And then number five, many of us don't even know any lost people anymore. We've so insulated ourselves in our little group and everybody we know is Christians. And that's wonderful and great, but that's not the purpose of your salvation